How do I promote this person? You know, what is the next role that this person could take? What are his aspirations? The difficult piece is when you need to, you know, come to a determination that a team member, you know, is not a fit anymore for the team or for the company. And this is Scaling Clean, the podcast for clean economy CEOs, investors, and the people who advise them. I'm your host, Mike Casey. My day job is running TigerCom, a firm that counsels companies that are helping move the U.S. economy onto a more sustainable footing. I get to meet the people who are succeeding at building, funding, or advising the most successful companies in your sectors. So each show, we try to bring you usable insights from these leaders so you can apply them to the business of running your business. Hello, clean techers. Our guest today is Sylvia Ortin. She has worked in the power sector for her entire career. Sylvia started as a contract trading analyst for TXU Energy in the late 1990s, but over a quarter century, she rose to become the CEO of RWE Renewables Onshore Wind and PV Division. She is the first woman to hold that position. As our listeners know, our goal with Scaling Clean interviews is to glean insights from CEOs, investors, and advisors on building and running winning teams at clean economy companies. And I'm really excited about talking with Sylvia because she's been a part of or managed teams in four countries on both sides of the Atlantic. And I think we're going to find her a rich source of culturally portable management lessons. Sylvia, welcome to Scaling Clean. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Let's start with your background. How would you summarize your career as a corporate leader? Very long to start with. Um, I started very young in this industry, um, a little bit by coincidence, because this was not uh, my primary choice. I wanted to be a language teacher, but things didn't go my way. So I tried, uh, you know, as a temporary thing to, uh, you know, join an electricity company in the uh, town I was living at the time in the UK with my with my today husband. And I thought I'd give it a, a go. And, um, you know, I, I never thought that I would be developing a, a career of 25 years now in this industry alone. I started on the uh, you know, retail business, then I moved into trading, and eventually, uh, a few years later, I um, encountered the world of renewable energy, which was very, very incipient at the time. There was uh, very few installations of, uh, of renewable uh, energy, mostly onshore wind, and I thought it was uh, something that was going to give me purpose. Uh, we were doing something for, you know, for the environment. We were doing something new, fresh. Um, looking into future generations that could enjoy, you know, a, a world uh, that uh, hopefully we would live, we were going to live a world better than the one we founded, and that was it. It was uh, almost love at first sight, and um, I just um, haven't moved from from this industry ever since. Are there things in your upbringing that set you up for a path that puts you into the CEO's chair today? That's a very interesting question. I never thought it like that. You know, um, I come from a very normal family you know my my mom uh she she stayed at home she was uh you know not somebody that uh, I could use as a role model for the work environment but um I'm always been surrounded by very powerful women women that had a say that uh, even though they might not be the providers in their households had very strong uh views of uh, of the world and one thing I always took for granted, um, given the upbringing I was given, is that my voice was to be heard 
full stop. I mean, uh, regardless of my background, of my gender, uh, I had something to say and the world was there to hear it. And I think that that has helped me to be, in a way, less self-aware in terms of, you know, what I want to say, you know, is as right as anybody else's. And I think that that kind of drive or vision of the world has helped me to move, uh, you know, in, in this environment, you know, in a, in a, you know, upwards manner, so to say. Tell me about the first time you were somebody's boss. What mistakes can you see now that you made back then? And were there some lessons that you carried forward into the years that followed? Yeah, I mean, I do remember very well um, that um, I was very young and uh, I was, um, you know, the, the team I was, uh, you know, was leading at the time, they were all older than me. They had more years of experience and expertise. And I felt that I had to know as much as them in order to lead the team. And that's some, uh, a mistake I've realized in the, you know, of the many years I've been leading teams that that's not the case. You don't need to know more or even the same as the individual members of your team. I mean, they are, you have to let them have their space, their, their you know, the area of expertise to, to shine in their, in their area of, of knowledge. And basically, I learned that my job was not to tell them how to do things, but to help them understand what was the common goal and how to work together to achieve it. And second, and as much important, to extract the best of people. Right to to make sure that people could shine, that they had their space, that they have their voice, and that they could really develop themselves into um, you know a, a better version of them as part of a team, and um, as I said, uh, delivering a common goal together. If you had to describe your leadership style now, how would you do that? Um, to be honest, I don't think I have a you know, one uh, style. I think that I, uh, my, if I would describe my style is that I can accommodate to the environment and I, I can accommodate to the different people's personalities. I can accommodate to the different goals on what we are pursuing at different times. Um, so probably that, that would be the definition that I am uh, versatile in that respect. I think my background of having worked in so many countries in different languages with people with very different backgrounds has helped me to become this, you know, versatile leader, if you want, to uh, accommodate to the different needs uh, of, of the environment and, and of the teams. Sylvia, who were your most influential mentors and what did you learn from them? I, mean, I had I had a few. I mean, about 20 years of, of career, I, I, you know, I had a a lot of um, mentors and a lot of uh, bosses that I could, you know, really, um, you know, aspire uh, and, and uh, you know, have some sort of inspiration of how, how to act and how to lead and how to develop myself, you know, where were my, you know, my development areas so I could, you know, get better. Um, I also had uh, some, uh, let's say, bosses that, I knew that I didn't want to be like them. So you learn a little bit from the good and, and from the bad and, and, and choose, you know, how, how do you want to be perceived and what exactly you should not do, um, you know, that affected me in, in some ways, you know, seeing other people behaving in, in certain manners. Um, I mean, it would be very difficult to pick to pick one. I, I'm very, I'm very um, you know, thankful of uh, having worked with people and for people that 
you know, could see something in me. They gave me the opportunity. They gave me the, the space for growth. Um, feedback, both good and bad, yeah, because sometimes you need also to hear the things that you're not doing so well, so you can work on them. And and I'm, I'm again, I'm very very lucky to have had people that were very honest with me and uh, and and very generous as well. Uh, I, I've been very lucky in my career, I must say. Looking back, do you think you learned more from the bad bosses or from the good bosses? <laughs> I think I've learned more from the good ones, uh, but I learned a lesson or two from the not so good ones. Let me put it like that. Are there ways in which leading clean economy companies is different than leading companies in more mature sectors? And if if so, what are those differences? I think one aspect that really differentiate the industry we work on, you know, the clean energy, sustainability, you know, as I said before, uh, working, you know, to live a better world than the one we founded is that people work with a purpose you know they 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 are they know what they're doing they 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 do what they want to do you know they want to spend their lives uh, working for something that is bigger than themselves and therefore they are you know there is a lot of of uh, of of companies that do what we do so we really need to offer the people to fulfill in their purpose yeah that they feel they, they feel that they are fulfilling their aspirations, their vision of, of how they want to spend the, their life in the working environment. I think that makes us um, very special because there is a lot of passion in, in what we do. And we need to be sure when you lead a, a team like that, that you also share that passion and that you that passion is contagious, that everybody shares that, that vision. Uh, I think that that's a very special feature of uh, of the people that work in the in the renewable and, and clean energies in general. Does that make leading a company in clean economy easier or harder, given the passions involved and the sense of mission? I imagine the sense of mission is an upside. It's an asset. Mm-hmm. I imagine the passions sometimes make it harder to make just a clean business decision. But tell me about that. For me personally, it makes it easier because I share that passion. So I feel very much, you know, like the rest of the team uh, in that respect. So it feels, you know, easy because, you know, I know what people are thinking, how they're looking at things, because I have that same, you know, the same vision and that same, uh, you know, purpose in in, in what we do. I, I find it easier and, and I love the environment. I like to, I love to work with people that feel so strong about what we are doing. Uh, and that there is something more than just a job, right? And and that's how I feel it. For me, it's more than a job. It's, a, it's, a, it's almost a lifestyle, yeah? And and you take that to your personal environment as well. And, it, and it's great to see that it's not something you just do for, you know, for, for a salary, but it's something you bring home. You can pass it on to your children. The children can feel very proud of uh, what their mom does. And uh, that, that for me is very, very important. And I, and I see that saying, uh, pride in, in the in the team I work with. You quit your job tomorrow and you become a professor teaching advanced <laughs> university students in a business school. And your first lecture is going to be describing the role of the effective CEO. What are you going to tell your students? Well, I'm, I think I'm going to tell them what I told you before, that they don't need to know everything. They need to be aware that they have experts and that they should let them grow, they should let them shine, and that the purpose of a great CEO, in my view, is to understand the team, to understand the dynamics, 
to understand how to extract the best um, capabilities of, of the people they're working with. Um, for me, this is, you know, what I enjoy doing as well. Um, and just be an inspirational leader that, that people want to, to follow without the need of having to, you know, uh, tell people what to do and how to do it, but more, you know, creating that vision that people can can follow and and develop themselves while while delivering on it. So I noticed you're not offering things like building the right team and uh, paying attention to the finances, and there are other things you led with giving your team space as the and and, key, and sharing that vision as the number one role. Mm-hmm. Are there are there other things on the list that you would give to your students in that hypothetical business class? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I always say that, you know, the you know, you, you are as good as the people you are surrounded with, right? Um, and of course you need to pay attention on the team. I mean, one thing I, I very much advocate for is to create as as a diverse a team as you can. And when I say diverse, I don't not only mean in terms of you know, gender and or background, but also ways of thinking. You know, we you always need a, a diverse team in the sense of how people think, of how people act, of how people deliver, because it is in the balance that you find the the best solutions. Um, and sometimes some some leaders tend to surround themselves by people like them, but then you all go into the same direction, and sometimes you you know might fall down the cliff. And Having a, a, a diverse team within the wider sense of the world, I think, brings a lot of um, balancing and a lot of discussion to reach the, 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 best, the best solutions and also to learn from, from each other. That's a very rich uh, environment to work on. I mean, finances and things like that, of course, that, that takes goes for granted because this is the, you know, the, <laughs> the minimum that a CEO needs to deliver is on the numbers. But I think the, the people are the most difficult piece to get right. And that's why I make a lot of emphasis on, on, the, on the leading of the teams, on the building of the teams, um, on the development and the growth of the, of the individual members of the team. I think that that's, for me, is a super important piece of, of being a leader. Are there ways you found that differ in how to effectively manage teams in the U.S. versus teams in Europe and acknowledging that both places are fairly diverse, particularly Europe. Are there differences that you've noticed in company dynamics? I've worked mostly for the same company for many years. So there is always a common culture. Of course, every uh, every country and almost every area of the company has got its own um, cultural aspects, right? But we share a common culture and, and as I said before, a common purpose, right? That is the the... The, you know the the energy the clean energy world you know the, the decarbonization etc so those things are very present regardless of the geography you're in of course there are differences um, between Europe and America but not as many I think that there are more common um, things than differences uh, and as I said I mean I think that the the, the the common denominator is the the purpose and the passion and that's something that is shared across the ocean. Uh, on the teams I have led on both sides uh, of of the Atlantic, um, that you know come very very strongly, and that make it makes uh, the teams very very similar in terms of um, of, of moving with that uh, that that purpose of uh, of what we do. 
when you've taken over the leadership of a team or a division or an entire company, what did you learn about selecting the right team, who to keep and who to let go? I've heard that that's among the most difficult things to do in building and running teams is inheriting an existing team and figuring out who to keep and who to who to change out. It is. I mean, especially on the who not to keep. I mean, who to keep is easy in the sense that that's something you don't think of, right? You don't think, oh, mm, I'm going to keep this person. I mean, the, the you know, the, the, the projects move on, the deliveries move on, and that's, you know, that's the team you count on. Uh, and that's not something that pops into your mind. It's more, uh, how do I promote this person? How, you know, what is the next role that this person could take? What are his aspirations? The difficult piece is when you need to, you know, come to a determination that a team member is not, you know, is not a fit anymore for the team or for the company. Um, of course, before you get to that point, you try lots of things, right? I mean, first try right, is the right job for this person, is that the 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 right level of responsibility but yeah i mean coming to that determination is the hardest one because you know that you're affecting somebody's life so um you know it's a very careful decision but sometimes very necessary or most times very necessary because it's disrupting the is disrupting the team or is disrupting the dynamics or is disrupting you know the delivery um and yeah i mean that's something no nobody likes doing and and is one of the things that keep me awake at night when, when the decisions like these need to happen. Are there particular things that you are looking for in an employee's performance? When you, when you come in, you, you've taken over a team, say there's 10 people, six, seven, eight of them, clearly people that you want to keep around. Okay, box checked. The remaining two or three, you have a question mark over them. What is Sylvia looking for? in order to help her make a decision to keep that person or to let them go? I mean, it depends very much on, on the team we are talking about. If you need to have a team that is very collaborative, that needs to be very collaborative because they, you need the input from a lot of people in order to, to, to deliver a product. I mean, that's one of the most important things, you know, how open people are for collaboration. How do they work in teams, are, are they uh, are they capable of you know having that flexibility that sometimes comes with you know not having a you know a, a single person responsible for something but a team that needs to deliver and, and, and move it together. Collaboration for me is key, and in the industry of uh, of that I'm, I'm leading, uh, we all need to collaborate because it's it's like building a puzzle at the end of the day, and until the last piece is not there. Uh, you don't have the product that you want to, you know, to 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 deliver. Um, so in that respect, I mean, of course, capability and 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 the the necessary uh, expertise that you need from people is very important. But that collaborative aspect uh, of you know cooperation and being able to share, being able to ask, you know, that's super important uh, in my view. And if a team member doesn't have that kind of um, you know, characteristic is something that we need to work very seriously on to to make it as best as possible. And if not, this is one of the term, the determinations that need to be taken. Is this the right person for this kind of environment? Maybe he's better suited to do something a little bit more independent. You know, work more individual than than in a collaborative and, and, and cooperative env- environment. 
Hiring. It's always cited as one of the most challenging parts of leading companies. What have you learned about hiring? I mean, hiring is at the moment one of the most difficult things that we have in the in the clean energy industry. There is a, a big demand of talent um, and, a, you know, a shortage of, of it. Um, I mean, one thing I, I really believe it's very important is that, you know, we start sourcing directly from, from universities uh, to give, uh, to, to, you know, show the, the, the students, or, you know, already while, you know, still while they are, um, while, while they are at university, what is the, you know, the, the beauties, so to say, and the opportunities that the clean energy environment offers. I mean, hiring is a very difficult thing to do because you don't have a lot of time to get to know the person. So sometimes you need a little bit of a, you know, trust your instincts um, to feel that this is the person that would fit that role well. Um, I always like to have uh, another person with me in the room so I can exchange uh, views afterwards. Um, but I mean, instinct is a, is a big thing because everybody comes with great CVs, right? But that's not what makes the uh, X factor sometimes on, on what makes a person fit well in the in the in the whole of the team you're trying to to fulfill right the experience is also a big piece right i mean the more interviews you do the more in, uh, interactions you have with candidates um it becomes a little bit clear of what you're looking for and how people fit in that in that uh, space do you have a few go-to interview questions that you that you almost always ask i always ask people what are the areas of development because um, everybody has got a very well prepared, you know, list of strengths and capabilities and successes, etc. But the, with with that question, if the answer is honest and and you know you can tell most times, it beca- it becomes obvious what is the the level of self awareness of a person, which is very important to have, yeah, in a in a in a, in a job and especially in a dy- you know dynamic environment as we have in the uh, clean energy. Um, and it would be very surprising, you know, we would be very surprised at what some people come up with. You know, they always turn <laughs> some of them, the, uh, the, 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 those development into positives, which uh, are very telling. Uh, but that's a question I always, I always have on my, on my list of questions. When it comes to firing somebody, yeah. what are the, what's the guidance you would offer younger CEOs on how to do that well? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, as I said before, that's one of the most difficult uh, parts of the job. I mean, my advice would be to be very, you know, very honest and be well prepared. Yeah, be well prepared on how to explain the person the reasons of, you know, of why um, he or she is not fit for that role anymore. Uh, Offer um examples clear examples don't don't talk in generics because I, I, that the, generics never work well provide examples of things that you know triggered the decision um yeah on i mean honesty and uh and, and examples and an advice of how to you know in the in you know in in the future um try to learn from those mistakes what 
what's the most important advice you would give to younger CEOs of clean economy companies beyond letting go of the idea you need to know everything? Mm-hmm. Are there additional tips you would give? And would that advice be different for young female CEOs? I mean, my first advice is that they have to enjoy the role. It's a, it's a little bit lonely sometimes because there are some decisions that you need to take on your own. But you need to enjoy what you do because that makes you know those decisions or those moments uh, of reflection easier to carry. Um, again, I mean, I, I said it before, surround yourself by people you trust, that people that, you know, that, make you better, that you can also learn from. You don't need to know everything, but you can learn a lot from the team that you are surrounded with. Um, And for females, um, um, I said, you know, don't think that, you know, don't think as you as a different type of person just because you are a female. I mean, we are capable of doing everything. If you can see it, you can be it. the world is still very short of uh, female CEOs. I mean, if you look around, there is not that, you know, you go to venues, you go to forums, and there is always a small percentage, but uh, it is growing. Um, and I, I would hope that I could be a little bit of a showcase, you know, for those female uh, leaders that are, you know, having their eyes on the, on a CEO position, and they don't know if they can make it there with hard work, with a good team, with good decisions, you know, thought through decisions, those things can can be achieved, of course. As you look back on your career, do you think a successful company is more reliant on the things it chooses not to do or the things it chooses to do? I think it's a it's a balance. Um, I always say um you know, in, in 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 our environment, you know, clean energy, we work very much on delivering new projects. And I always tell my my team, and the, especially the development team, a project stopped early. You know, it's a it's a you know money that we can use to bring good projects forward. Um, so sometimes, yes, you need to focus very very closely on on the target and not try to bring too many things at the same time because otherwise it can get a little bit diluted, um, the, the, the value that you can bring forward. I mean, I think it's a balance. Uh, of course, you need to, to move uh, a lot of things forward in order to, you know, to make one happen, but um, you know, a, a, a bad project stopped early is, is worth uh, a lot more than probably the, the ones that you take forward and you never uh, be able to, to deliver eventually. My last question, are you a climate optimist or a climate pessimist and why? Optimist, totally. Otherwise, you know, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't keep doing what I'm doing. I think we are, we are turning the world slowly but it's, it's going to happen. I mean, uh, there is no way around it. There is no way around it. I'm a climate uh, optimist. I mean, I see the new generations um, that have got it so much more clearer than even my generation that we've been working on this for, for all these years. We only have one planet. We need to look after it. And I think that there is a lot of uh, positive uh, movement 
of course, still a, lot of, a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, unwillingness from some sectors to let go. But I'm, I'm, I'm 100% positive that, you know, we're taking the right steps forward. I mean, the U.S. has just passed the, um, the Inflation Reduction Act that has got a very important package for the promotion of, of clean energy. Um, it's probably the best uh, regulatory package that our government has put together in the world. And, and, and as I said before, I've worked in many, many countries. It provides sustainability, provides long-term uh, you know, long-term plans. We can take decisions uh, for the long-term. And I think, you know, the U.S. is a is number one country in the world. And when a country like the U.S. takes this kind of, of, uh, of policies forward, the world is looking and the world keep, uh, will keep, uh, you know, acting in that same manner. Unfortunately, the Ukraine war now has, you know, put a little bit of a spin on things. Um, but um, in, in a way, is going to also turn you know European countries to be even more prone to rely on renewable energies and less on fossil fuels, and that definitely helps uh, our climate and and to reduce the the carbon emissions that are you know are uh, damaging our our environment so much. Well, Sylvia Ortiz, this has been a wonderful discussion. It's been an honor to speak with you. I've wanted you on the show since we started this thing. And I'm just grateful for the work you do and for your time you spent looking back and giving us some lessons because there's a lot of them here. And I think this is going to be an episode that a lot of people will listen to. So please accept my thanks for, for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for the opportunity. Thank you. Hey, our thanks to Sylvia Ortiz, the Chief Executive Officer of RWE Renewables Americas for her time today. This is Scaling Clean, a production of TigerCom, and I'm Mike Casey. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to our show free anywhere you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>